everyone. As Priscilla and Josh mentioned, my name is Sheila and I lead a connect group here at HDBB. Shout out to my Bangsa homies. Whoop, whoop. It's such a privilege to be able to be preaching today's message to you, continuing and concluding us in our series in Judges, Leadership in a Time of Unknowns. If you haven't managed to catch any of the last three and you want to catch up on it, just go to hdbb.org and find the sermons there. Uh, last week in particular, our guest speaker, Amy, gave a brilliant explanation about the context of the Book of Judges and who these judges are. Today's story follows directly after the judge Deborah, which is who she covered last week. Um, following Israel's victory under Deborah, Israel experienced 40 years of peace, after which they begin to do evil in the eyes of the Lord. Again, which is pretty much the story over and over again in Judges. And so they begin to do evil in the eyes of the Lord. And uh, so God allows for them to be oppressed by this group of people called the Midianites. And it's in this time where we find ourselves in the passage today. God is at this point where he's about to call out of Israel another judge by the name of Gideon to lead them into battle against the Midianites and save Israel from oppression. We're not going to go into the details of the battle itself, but if you want the too long, didn't read summary of this battle, uh, it's basically Israel wins with God's help, which is basically, again, the story of Judges over and over again. But the interesting bit that we're going to dive into today in the story of Gideon is what I'm going to call the call of Gideon. As you would have heard repeatedly said over the last few weeks in this series, all of us are called into leadership. And it's not a, a kind of call that is some distant uh, future. Uh, it's not a position that we're being called into um, some time away. We are called to be leaders. We're called to be influencers wherever we are right now. And so I hope and I believe that there will be something in today's message for everyone tuning in today. Let's read from Judges chapter 6, verses 11 to 18. <laughs> the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah, that belonged to Joash the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon replied, If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. The Lord said, I will wait until you return. Amen. I once heard a story about the boxer Muhammad Ali. He was on an airplane that was about to, to take off and uh, the flight attendant who was doing her rounds came by and saw that his seatbelt was not buckled. And so she said to him, Sir, I need you to buckle your seatbelt. And then she went off and went about and did her things. And as she was crossing the aisle again, she saw that he still hadn't done what she had told him to do. And so she politely said again, Sir, I need you to buckle your seatbelt. 
And then she went about doing her own thing. And finally, in the last checks, in the last rounds, she passed him again and saw that he still didn't have his seatbelt buckled. And so she said firmly but politely, Sir, I'm really going to need to have you buckle your seatbelt. To which Muhammad Ali replied to her, Superman don't need no seatbelt. To which she replied, without missing a beat, Superman don't need no plane. Oftentimes, we can have this over-romanticized view of a leader. They look a certain way, they talk a certain way, they give off a certain vibe, and they make us feel a certain way, and often then they swoop in to save the day, much like Superman. And we have this picture of a superhero, someone who is almost invincible, unfazed by anything. But Gideon is far from that kind of leader. In fact, quite the opposite, and yet God calls him. There's this catchphrase that you might have heard that goes around the internet and it says, real heroes don't wear capes. And it's often used in the context of trying to highlight, you know, that the fact that everyday ordinary people are doing really remarkable things out there just by being themselves, making the best of what they have. And this is more than true of Gideon. In this case, real heroes don't wear capes. They're found threshing wheat in a wine press. It doesn't get worse than this. Why? Doing this, threshing wheat in a wine press was both difficult and humiliating for someone. The process of threshing wheat, uh, if you were wondering, is this process of kind of hitting the wheat against the ground and it's used to separate the good parts from the wheat from the bad parts that you don't use. This was typically done in open spaces, uh, normally around hilltops where you can have the wind blowing uh, to help you with the process to blow away these bad parts. A wine press is a hole that's dug in the ground that's deep enough and you jump in and it's used for pressing grapes to make wine. Wheat is not threshed in a sunken place like a wine press. Doing that is like the equivalent of trying to cook your lunch in a kettle, in your bedroom, and then eating your lunch under the table. It's as ridiculous as that. You know, it's not how it's supposed to be done. This is the depiction of what Gideon was doing, and it's, it's, it's this representation even of the state of Israel at the time. They were in fear, the situation was uncertain, their freedom was taken away from them, and perhaps like some, uh, Gideon, uh, perhaps some like Gideon had lost hope or a vision of what life could be like. And maybe that sounds quite extreme, but to a certain extent, isn't that a little bit like what we are experiencing here in the world today? This year has been absolutely strange. We have this common enemy in a virus that has sent all of us into living in a different way, in a way that's cautious, in a time that's uncertain. <clears throat> Everything in this season has been unprecedented. In fact, I would be bold enough to say that the word unprecedented has been said an unprecedented amount of times in the last five months. I wonder how you felt in this time. Maybe you relate to Gideon, threshing wheat, in a wine press, operating from this position of uncertainty, of fear, sometimes insecurity or limitation. Maybe you feel uh, this way as a result of recent events, or maybe you feel this way as a result of something else. Or maybe you even, uh, if you don't experience it, you know someone who has. The good news in the story of Gideon is that God meets him and calls him from where he's at. In that wine press, he calls him still into greater things. And he wants to do the same with us. 
Let's read on how this happens to Gideon. Verse 12, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Actually, fun fact, the name Gideon in Hebrew means mighty warrior. This guy had a prophetic calling on his life for what he was about to do, but he had no clue about it. He was so caught up in the circumstance that he did not want to take on this title that God was clearly uh, calling him into and putting on him. I once heard this message by uh, this pastor and author, uh, Daniel Strickland. She says um, that in order for us to truly step into what God calls us into, uh, to step into the identity that we have in God, we need to have one key trait, and that is humility. What does that mean? True humility, she says, is agreeing with God about who we are. True humility is agreeing with God about who we are. And then she continues to say that there are two barriers to true humility. There's kind of two extremes. So there's one extreme where um, we are believing what we say about ourselves that makes us less than who God says we are. And we can call that uh, maybe due to our insecurities and we can label that as a false humility because often we think that's us being humble. And the other extreme is here um, where we, we think of ourselves as maybe above God or above what, who God says we are. Um, and, and that could be maybe a lack of humility or we can even call it a type of arrogance. Both become barriers to our leadership. And we read in the story of Gideon that God had to work through Gideon's insecurities before he could step into leadership. But eventually we find out at the end of the story that it is the lack of humility that causes Gideon to fall at the end. But first, let's talk about false humility. Have you ever had that moment where you're in this public space and you see from a distance there's someone that's waving at you and you're kind of like, I don't know whether the person's waving at me or waving at the person behind me and I have been in way too many situations where I think it's me and it's actually the person behind me and it's way too embarrassing. So whenever this happens to me, there's always this like really awkward exchange where I'm like trying to it's me, it's me, and then I kind of give a little wave, and it's like, is it me? And then they start to kind of wave back, and only then I get a bit more confidence to try to wave back a little bit more before I actually move in that direction. I wonder whether that happens to you, but I imagine almost the scenario between Gideon and the angel of the Lord is a little bit like that. I mean, let's go back to the verses. Verse 12, when the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon, he says to him, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And at this point, Gideon's probably like, there's no one else in the wine press with me, right? Like, it can't, it can't be me that God is referring to. Like, surely it can't be me that God is referring to. I mean, this is me, you know, thinking what Gideon might be thinking. And then the Lord goes on to say to him, go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? And at this point, Gideon's probably like, surely at this point, you've got the wrong guy. Surely is the wrong guy. My clan would not pick me. My family would not pick me. If I was the last person on earth, no one would pick me. Why are you saying that I am the person for this role? Why are you saying that I am the right person for this role? I wouldn't pick me. And he says this back to God in a much more refined way. He says, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest and I am the least. What is your story? What is the story that you tell yourself about you? And who gets to define that narrative? 
Can you imagine listening to the narrative that Gideon tells himself over and over and over and over and over and over again? I am the least, I am the weakest. My clan is the weakest and I am the least. My clan is the weakest and I am the least. The weakest and the least. The weakest and the least. No wonder Gideon is so quick to point out who he is and what disqualifies him. No wonder he's so quick to snuff out this idea that he is the person that God is calling. Often we don't realize the narrative that is governing our lives. The thoughts we have about ourselves, the voices that we let speak into us, the mistakes that we let define us, the circumstances that we think won't change. We tell ourselves that the combination of these mean that who we are and what we are able to do is limited. And I wonder whether any of these phrases sound familiar to you. The circumstance that I grew up in means that I will always be this way. The mistakes I have made in the past is who I am and determines what I deserve in the future. What someone had told me before about myself is who I will be forever. I will never be able to do more with my life because this is just who I am. I wonder whether any of these sound familiar to you or if you have any narrative that is of a similar sentiment. If we believe in God, we believe there is also an enemy that is out there to rob us of the fullness of life that God has for us and God wants for us. This enemy wants us to believe these lies about ourselves that stop us short from God's plans, that lead us to say things like Gideon, how can I save the people of Israel? My clan is the weakest and I am the least. And we all have our versions of this, how can I do this? My fill in the blanks with our reason. How can I make a difference in this season? My resources are limited. How can I succeed at work? My colleagues are all more skilled than I am. How can I have a healthy relationship? My family is broken and I have no role models. I remember a few years ago when I started my own current job, which is that I'm in now, I had a similar how can I dash my dash. Um, you know, it, I was quite young at the time, or at least I think I was, and I felt like this place was genuinely where God was leading me to, that this role was this next season in my life, and that um, this was where I was going to make an impact. But after my first couple of weeks there, I uh, felt, after learning about the role, I felt like I was absolutely inadequate. I felt like I was absolutely inexperienced for what uh, was set up before me. My fill in the blanks was, how can I do this role? My experience is so limited. And I remember a candid conversation I had within the first couple of weeks with my teammate. And I was just kind of being honest with her. She's a few years older and wiser than I am. And I said that I was feeling really overwhelmed and I was telling her how much I felt like I wasn't the right person for this role. Although looking back, that probably wasn't a very wise thing to do given that you might want to give a good impression to your teammate in your first few weeks. But anyway, that conversation took place and I don't regret it. But I always remember her words to me. She said to me, Sheila, I personally don't believe that you are inadequate or inexperienced, you're just overwhelmed. But honestly, the way I see it, the truth is, there's always going to be someone better. There's always going to be someone more experienced. And you might even say there's always going to be someone who is more right for the role. But the reality is, you are who we've got. 
And so how are you then going to make the best of that? That is entirely up to you. The story we tell ourselves about ourselves and our place in the world, it's the stuff that make our identity. If we try to build our own identity, we build it on moving targets. We build it on standards that the world sets and we allow people around us, whether it's our friends, or our families, our co-workers, our, our competitors, we let them set that for us. We let them define what's good for us. But an identity that's rooted in God is simply summarized as this. I am enough. I am enough. When God calls Gideon, he doesn't say to Gideon, go, sign up for this 12-week transformation, body transformation plan where you'll get fit, and then sign up for this five-week sword fighting intensive, and then this three-week leadership development course. Only then will you be able to then lead your army into battle. That's probably what I would have done. Thankfully, I was not there with Gideon. God did not say that to him, but God said to him, verse 14, go in the strength that you have. We are enough as we are. And God calls us from that. We bring to the table what we have, which invalidates then that question of why me, which is a question that all of us like to ask. Why me? Why not someone else? Someone else is better. Uh, or maybe it's why someone else and not me. Gideon tries to say this by saying, my clan is the weakest and I am the least. But God says to him, verse 16, I will be with you and then you will defeat your enemies. So go in the strength that you have. I will be with you and then you will defeat your enemies. And so I really want to encourage you today, if there are any of these narratives ring true for you, or if you, or if you realize that there is a narrative that you are telling yourself that shortchanges you from the future that God wants for you, causing you to believe that you deserve less, causing you to live a life that is subpar, feeling like you are threshing wheat in a wine press, a narrative that is feeding your insecurities, you don't have to believe that narrative. That is not who God says you are. True humility, again, is agreeing with God about who we are. And the beauty of that is that that never changes. We find this out and root ourselves in it through the Word of God, through the Bible, a secure place to find out who God says we are. Our identity is not what we build, it's who God created us to be. And in the Bible, we read things like He says that we are created intentionally. He says that we are loved unconditionally. He says that we are enough. He says that he will be with us and in him we can live a life in all its fullness. And we don't shortchange ourselves from that. When Gideon is able to have faith in God, God then leads him and hence his army into victory over the enemies and after which they enjoy peace in the land for 40 years. I wish I could say that's the end of the story. But Gideon does fail towards the end. After his victory against the Midianites, um, he first decides, strangely decides to then take revenge on all the Israelite clans that didn't help him. And so he, he kills many of them out of anger. When the Israelites then uh, ask him to lead them, uh, he points to God and he says, he seems to be saying the right things. He says, well, God is your leader but then requests of them to give him their gold. And uh, with that gold, he makes an idol and builds himself a legacy. 
Gideon almost wants to enjoy the benefits of leadership and calling without wanting the actual position of leading them. And so he took advantage of the following that he gained through God's victory and gained uh, through, through, through the, the victories that he had won and used that for his own glory and his own gain. And so we see Gideon's journey from this position of false humility. He learns true humility, and but somehow his story ends with a lack of humility, causing himself to fall out of obedience and agreement with God. And the effects of that caused the Israelites to then stumble into idol worship again, which was what brought them into this whole mess to begin with. And the story and the cycle of Judges repeats over and over again all throughout the, all throughout the book. The underlying current to the book of Judges, and actually the underlying current to the Old Testament, is this. There is this longing and there is this need from people for a leader that won't fail. A leader who can save, a leader who can lead us all into a vision for our lives. And we don't find this in the judges, we don't find this in the kings, we don't find this in the prophets of the Old Testament. But ultimately, eventually, we find this in the person of Jesus. He is the ultimate judge and king and prophet, not to lead us into physical battles, but to lead us in our lives, into our purpose, overcoming the hurdles that we may face towards becoming who we were created to be. When we can submit and model our lives and our leadership under him, we can be assured that he will lead us well. He loves us, he is for us, and he is who will truly help us navigate this season of unknowns and come out better of it. And that really is the good news that we bring out of the book of Judges. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that we are made whole in you and that you say that we are enough as we are. I thank you for the promises in your word that we can make our pillars of truth and that you are always leading us into something new and into something better. Help us to see ourselves as you do and help us to have faith and courage to follow in your leading. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, let's maybe just take a moment to, to, to stand and invite the Holy Spirit uh, to come and speak to us. So wherever you are, maybe you might want to just find a comfortable place to stand. Uh, you might want to put your hands out uh, as a way of saying, um, I, I welcome you to come and speak to me. Um, and, uh, and let's just maintain this posture of prayer, just waiting on the Lord to speak to us, just as how he spoke to Gideon. Let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit, would you come and fill us afresh right now and would you be speaking to us your truth about who we are. Yeah.